0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl,
1: and I'm Sherry,
0: we are two recently retired speech-language pathologists, and we're here to discuss issues surrounding services for children with communication disorders in Saskatchewan schools. Today we are excited to welcome Ray, who is a retired school division director. We thought it would be fun to add the leadership perspective from someone like Ray, who did and we think still does, have supportive opinions around facilitating speech and language interventions for children with communication disorders. Full disclosure, I know Ray because I came to work for him in Lance West School Division in 2000, and he hired Sherry for the 2003-2004 school year. And I have to tell our audience, it was one of the best decisions I ever made.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ray. We're so excited to have you, and it's been a long time since you and I had an opportunity to talk about speech pathology in kids. Um, we think it's really wonderful that you're going to join us today, and and just help us bring this topic to a more light. We'll bring more light on the topic and, and all the concerns that we have, and, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying your retirement as much as Cheryl and I have, because we've definitely been Been enjoying ours. For all the listeners who don't know you, Ray, could you give us a little rundown on yourself and your career history? Well, I eventually got about 35
2: years in education, and half of them were at the, um, or 17 years were at the central office level, 14 in Saskatchewan, 3 in Manitoba, and um, spent some time as a principal as well, 13 years. Um, 6 at K-12 level of schools and uh, 7 at grade 7 through 12. So that's kind of my background there, and I had the opportunity, although it was a pile of work, to do a voluntary amalgamation of Wilkie and Corrobert school divisions to form Lands West, who eventually had the foresight to employ both of you. So I did get a chance to work through that, which was kind of interesting, and in many ways... uh, Maybe more luck than anything, but it was that amalgamation that really pushed some of the initiatives that the lands West had around you know having different skill sets in the office and getting more correct amount of full-time equivalents, particularly with speech language and other special ed areas. when you were running a smaller Single division and generally you were just yourself you really had no opportunity to do the kind of service that was required because one you didn't have time and two you really didn't have the knowledge you just couldn't have that base so anyway that's some of the background um, i don't know what else i would add in there it, as i said it, once we got a division twice as big instead of two ceos there was one ceo and an opportunity to divide that second role into a number of supportive people, whether, you know, with somebody to coordinate special education or other roles. And uh, we also did have the opportunity and took it to increase um, speech
0: language. Ray, you ha- certainly have a, a wealth of experience in all different aspects of. Education, so that's great. And we've spoken previously on our podcast, Sherry and I have, about the possibility of establishing standards for service delivery for children with communication disorders. And we have standards for other things in education, such as the number of school days, the number of credits students need to graduate high school in the various different areas, teacher credentials, things like that. Do you think it would ever be possible to create provincial standards around services for children with communication disorders? And really, you know, we're talking about not just children with communication disorders, but students with disabilities of of any type. You know, I, I, and I suppose it fits with
2: a lot of the other things. Like, I was always interested in an asset assets-based approach of things, dealing with what was positive with everyone, whether it was staff or or students. So uh, I don't know why you can't set up standards that would define or outline really what the goals are for every abled student in your, in your system. My only sort of caveat on all of that is that there's so little options now, as I see it, for divisions to create the funding to actually push for these. And I hate to always re- relate back to money, but the funding, we had more flexibility when I was uh, acting as CEO or director of education because we still had access to the tax base. And, and ours was fortunately a, a, a pretty solid tax base. But with that, then you, you could actually get parents and public and, and people paying the taxes and board members wanting to do legacy teach or legacy decision to actually step forward and do do the right things for for all students, not not just some. So there's no reason why it couldn't be set up provincially, no reason at all, other than as soon as you set these things down, then they become, you know, I know they become the minimum, but at least then, the funding and the staffing and the planning provincially to get people like that in place can, can be done. And without it, of course, you don't know whether, quite frankly, you don't even know whether you need speech-language pathologists, Right. Uh, which sounds, sounds mean when I say it, but I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying that if you don't know the data and the needs and what it takes to move that so those children leaving our school as adults or starting to become adults can do the best that's possible for them in society without without that kind of data and funding to back it up of course they become hollow little statements but if they actually have meaning and they're whoever's setting the standards then starts planning to have people who can deliver on them So your training institutions start to get in line and the funding starts to get in line. And then once you start checking your students, you find out that they're progressing. And I think in a a mini version of it, we were making some progress that way. I mean, I wouldn't by any stretch of imagination say that we had it made because we didn't. But, you know, effectively, I think we doubled the time of, or more than doubled the time of speech language pathologists uh on a on a population of the area bases and at least got some movement in that
1: and, and that that was totally exciting for us that that yeah. was the draw i mean i I came back from the states in order to be part of that because you did seem in the in the time when we got together there was a little force going forward, and there was a recognition that we could do quite a lot if we had you know more staffing and and we were we were so excited, weren't we, Cheryl?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, just to, well, just to have the support.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and
2: and the other thing, it, like, we did get a bit of it done, and, you know, kind of, that's kind of my regrets, is, you, you know, when you were trying to do that amalgamation and the, afterwards, you have that whole grieving process of abandoning two cultures. It doesn't matter whether they have shortcomings. You can't just jump into the next one without acknowledging that there was 50 or 100 years of you know, very successful culture and climate in the existing structures, um, without knocking that apart, you got to say, well, as good as it may have been, there were gaps, and we're starting to fill them. So and I guess... So we, board members have to realize that, I guess, and
1: and you got to teach them, too. I guess the next question is, because we've been trying the podcasts and the blogs, and we're we're on a movement to try to educate people more in leadership to gain the information they need to understand why we need more speech paths. And so that I guess that would be our question to you, our next question to you would would be that is how best to access leadership like directors of education, like you were, you know, when you're in working as an employee, you can't really jump the queue and get to the director. So if the information is not getting filtered up and that's what we think one of the biggest, or I do I think one of the biggest problems now is I'm not sure that leadership has an understanding of kids with communication disorders and how great an impact speech pathologists could have not only on speaking um, and Oral communication, but on reading and writing, which and the yeah. literacy component they're working so hard to move forward. Yeah, and, and I mean, if I just look at myself, I rightly or
2: wrongly, I you know, I came through very high school oriented through training and education and then experience. So, a lot of that I you know, I had never been exposed to it even casually from a training or an education point of view. So, we I kept sort of falling into it, and I, I, I mean, if, I guess the first thing is, is you got to be you got to be caring about students and staff, and always pushing the envelope on taking risks to help everyone. And I, you know, I, I mean, I knew I had gaps. I didn't even know what I didn't know really, but you had to reach out for it. Unfortunately, it it isn't easy. I'm sure there was lots of things I missed. I just never, uh, you know, you don't even know what you're sort of ignorant of. But I I think the whole province would need to twist themselves a bit here. And just like, I don't know if you remember, but it's quite a few years back, but when we were doing sort of the major curriculum initiative, the common essential learnings and, you know, the different the different things like that, it did take a structure of leadership right at the very top, not totally prescriptive, but laying out things of what you want to see, why you want to see it, and then giving some leeway for people to start to go after that. And if they've got the tools and they understand they can take the risk and a forum to share best practices and things like that, and I think you could move that whole needle quite a bit. But right now, I don't know if the rewards or the or the climate is there to get things like that going, you know, where rather than being predictive and trying to get change and improvement for children early in life, we're, we're just sort of saying, well, let's let it go and hopefully nothing happens. And we end up then correcting this in the most tragic ways with, people not being able to to contribute what they should or ending up with health or justice or social issues. Mm -hmm. And you just see it all around where we don't invest properly on the front. uh, And so then you get to try to invest on correcting that. And it's a nightmare. Like, I I have to say that I'm... I don't know how to be kind about it, but I'm rather dismayed at how little social investment we're doing across a whole bunch of fronts and then we're wondering why things are so hard to correct and people are having so much trouble well uh, that's why because if you don't do that upfront investment then you get to spend 10 times as much trying to
1: correct it and i think that's where we're we're in that boat now with this teachers have in the classroom and the diversity of needs and the tremendous load that's on teachers they can't do all of these interventions that they're being tasked to do it's it it is almost in a crisis situation isn't it
2: well it is and and, um, and then what happens with it well first of all i don't believe there is a climate of public education or at least not the healthy one that I experienced for a good portion of my career at one time the public education even though there's a whole bunch of different kinds of public education was getting investments and a large percentage of the population just because of the of the demographics of more youthful demographics was tied to schools and tied to public education and now it's kind of drifting and we and you know we have that of neoliberal nonsense of trying to slip in private alternatives when when you have underfunded and have broken the public one and there really is only one room for one in my mind i mean you can have the options for parents who have the money but for the bulk of people we need a very solid public education system uh, that's invested in year after year, and not allowed to to actually descend into kind of levels of bankruptcy almost, and then and then trying to pick it up out of the dirt. So I, it's hard to watch. It really is. Uh, and and I like I said, I don't have the the more intimate uh, knowledge of actually trying to run things anymore. So I, you know, some of it I can only get by the press. But yeah, it's it's a tough one. But, I I mean, there's still possible for, I'm sure, some places at least to find the boards and and, uh, leaders that want to push the agenda and, and talk about it. But it'd be so much easier and productive if you have that vision provincially and then everybody is allowed to put their, you know, kind of their own stamp on it, but always trying to meet the same goals. And I think that's what you're getting at here with standards and and everything else to to make sure that kids aren't left behind none of them. I don't know I know we kind of were part of only a few divisions in the province that did voluntary amalgamation and I'm quite sure we were looked at as insane or you know why are you bothering with all that work? You're just trying to do the agenda that nobody wants anyway and Quite frankly, I never ever saw it that way. I, I saw it as an opportunity to make other changes and still preserve the good of both of both the history of both other divisions. So I, I guess it's possible, but it'll be very hard to get it to work. And I I, I just, I don't know. Well, we appreciate your comments for sure. I, I, yeah, yeah I, just, I just remember, you know, like we, to understand the The Lands West School Division, we were very fortunate in funding, actually, because we we did have a high assessment. And, of course, uh, your taxes and what generated, you know, depended a lot on that. There was an equalization formula within the province, but it was limited. And and instead of correcting it, what you had was people who wanted way more power and control than they needed to just simply crush it and put everybody under the thumb of the province and that didn't do anything for anybody it took it took away that ability to fund and make decisions closest to where there were consequences and rewards for your decision and now it's like well the province is picking on us and then we're picking on you and and everybody gets that defeatist attitude but at one time you could have people Come to you and say, like, why aren't you doing things? Because you literally could make that decision. All you have to do is get your board on side, um, talk to them about legacy decision making, and getting, you know, taking some risks. I don't, I don't think they can. I honestly, don't think they can do much about it now.
0: It seemed like you were closer to everyone. You were closer to the communities, you were closer to yep. the teachers, you were closer. Evidence could be brought forward and decisions could be made quickly and implemented quickly. And now it just seems like things are moving along, you know, whether they're good or they're bad, they just keep moving forward without much analysis or, or ability yeah. to change.
2: Well, I, I, I would completely agree with that. And, and the consequences or the, like either the rewards or the, or the defeats are so abstract now that it just everything just kind of goes along. And, and once defeated like that, then it's very hard to get that creative energy and, and risk takers leading out there because it's safer just to keep your head down. I know what you're suggesting makes real sense but it does require a culture that's somewhat accepting of it.
1: If I, I'm hearing you, maybe a chance to make a, a dynamic change would be one school division to not not try to push the whole province, but find one school division who's interested in, in setting up standards and that sort of thing. And then if they become best practice in the province, maybe other divisions would look towards them because they have more outcomes and they they've shown it and they're you know measuring what they do and would you think maybe choosing one division would be or finding a division would be I, I would think that that's possible
2: I you know and, and again I don't want to take too defeatist of things but they are going to have to really work hard and because it it's so difficult now to, to find that additional time the additional funds the additional staffing that goes with taking those risks and you might be able to do it by some, you know, little little movements like interagency stuff. So one way you might be able to do is if you could find an area that, you know, wasn't so tied to different stovepipes of their own agenda and would reach out. But it, it's really tough for different agencies to reach out to one another when they feel like they're under attack for the very little bit they've got. That would be my feeling, but I, I know... We used to look at health a little bit cross-eyed, and they did on us because they were quite jealous that we had access to a tax base, whereas they are, were operating all along, like I see school divisions now, and they just get their envelope of money and that's it, figure it out. Well, it's, it's always short, then figuring it out is, is not a very welcome task, to say the least.
0: Well, figuring it out means making cuts, <laughs> so that's what figuring yeah. it out means.
2: And and they so then they reach reach out and whack the thing that they know least about, or that yeah. they think will have the least back pressure. And um, and I can see where that you know is the arts a lot of times when it comes to regular programs or it's the special needs because they are expensive to do right early, but they're ten times expensive to correct or to even just handle afterward, because those people can't contribute like they should have been able to.
0: So you, you oh. did <laughs> you, th- you did leave the school division uh, before I, I feel like we could fully implement all the ideas that we had at that time. And I'm just wondering, what changes did you see over time, and what do you think the successes were, and would you have done anything differently when you look back now?
2: Well... Uh-huh. Probably the one thing you do different is get started on it quicker. That would be the one thing is you you just get going on this quickly. But I, quite frankly, I didn't even know. Well, I didn't even really know what I should have been looking at. So that that was tough. But when you finally realized that what you were doing was just hiring the least trained and the cheapest people to meet the needs of the most challenging, then you. That was a first to me. I had to get that in my head. It seems so obvious now I can hardly even talk about it without wanting to skip over. But once you know that, then you realize, well, hey, you've got to change the whole staffing model. And of course, the big one for me was when I learned that that you could supervise the practicums of, of graduating SLPs. I'm talking about Cheryl now. I mean, that was, that was just like the cherry on the cake for me because you could see how you could get at a reasonable rate. I'm always cheap, right? <laughs> yeah. At a reasonable rate, uh, a second person who then could easily and more easily, I guess, and correctly demonstrate the benefits of and the need for increased staffing. And that, that was our second Cheryl,
1: I think I referred to here. And a lot of those young people want to be back home, come yes. home, do their practicums, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, it's a win-win. Well, and, and
2: that's where. I mean, we I, like we were able to do it because we weren't starved down, one, and two, it made perfect sense, and three, we had someone who could do it, namely yourself. But the province could very easily take this role on with the power and leveraging they've got to simply have some of these. I'm not saying they could do it uniformly, because they couldn't across the whole province, but they could at least start. But I don't know where they're taking on any uh, risky experimentation. Well it's not even risky, any just smart experimentation to do that. But certainly that practicum and that role demonstrated the need for more people and the importance of that role. And then um, I think it was you, Cheryl, but the whole model of going to uh, to compressed assignment in a school and then moving on to the next one. I know it meant some schools waited a mm-hmm. while, but at least that way, some very direct in servicing and modeling and hand over hand instruction could be given to the assistants, and then you could come back and monitor it. And you know, I don't remember exact, but I know just from the numerous conversations we had, it it did fall into place and improve things a great deal. So that was a start of it, for sure. I I think the other things that we finally got going on, looking at system-wide, like the positive behavior intervention and support thing, is system-wide where schools could still tailor and put their own stamp on it. But rather than chasing all these stupid little corrective things, like let's talk about bullying today and let's talk about something tomorrow, you just talked about what great things kids could do and how much even how much better it could be when you taught say, the, the roles and the behavior you wanted rather than worried about correcting and punishing the behaviors you didn't need i i kind of looked at i know it was different but i kind of looked at the stuff we were doing in speech language as a asset-based approach on things you know we were saying this is what the kids have let's accept that and let's develop those or add in as, as we can but stop the, uh, you know, stop the put downs and the, and, the, and the whole critical part of it and the gaps and concentration on what was working and what was oh, positive. Yeah, you yeah, the yeah. positive. And I, I remember when we went to Manitoba too a we got started on um, the search institute stuff with the I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it had assets outside and inside the school assets and called on communities to come together. And so you, you had internal assets in the students and external with families, community and school. And uh, we surveyed I don't know probably I don't know what it was, twelve or thirteen hundred students and if they didn't have ten to eleven, maybe even twelve of the forty assets, twenty and twenty, you knew they were gonna crash. They were not gonna make it, period. So you simply rather than you know worrying about whether they slept in a culvert or didn't have a meal which you should worry about you had to concentrate on how you could get that support into the whole system whether it you know required some more community volunteers or help or whether it could come within the school and the volunteers in there and the staff that were so you know maybe that something like that would hold out an opportunity I don't know exactly how it would work but it, it would require coordination internally and externally between the school and the community to say look here's here's what we need to do to fill in some gaps how can we do it we may not have the professional staff we should to spread around but we could at least do this these assets or these things and maybe that might have a possibility I remember that PBIS thing certainly helped in the school.
0: It definitely it, it, did,
2: yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I don't know where it is now, but I mean, it, well, it stop that, that whole nonsense of yelling, don't run, and just yeah. they walk.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, or just, just just endless it, detentions, yeah. like, oh, you're going to get detention. Well, yeah, yeah and then well, tomorrow exactly. you're going to get another detention. Like That's <laughs> obviously not working. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, and and th- I don't know whether something like that could hold out an opportunity or how you'd even pull it off, because you need to get the data on it, you need to have people understand. And I remember we, with PBIS, we had done quite a bit of data collection, and we certainly did division-wide, I think it was two, no, three days of in-service.
0: Lots of training.
2: Yeah, you had to really do lots of training, you had to send people away and get your own in-house, otherwise you were never going to move anywhere. That really should have been picked up by the problem.
0: Well, that, you know, I, I was going to say that really surprised me because it was so, it worked so well. And, yeah. and I just thought, well, clearly because I didn't know what was going on in other divisions, I thought, well, clearly, other people must be doing this. Must be doing it, And then come to find out it's it's never been done, it's never been picked up, and it's kind of shocking because you do hear so much about behaviours in school and so much about how difficult it is and and how it's sort of the bane of everyone's existence and why can't we get these behaviours under control, and I'm thinking, well, you could.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing (laughs) is, is that we're... I, I hate to put it that way, but we've got so many little groups running around being chaos junkies. Yeah. They love chaos. Yeah. Because they, then they'd invent a little stupid solution for that chaos and, and then peddle it to change. And, Without and evidence. The
0: There's no evidence. And it, and it's,
2: it's well-intentioned. It, I'm sure it's well-meaning. But all you're doing is just focusing on one little piece of symptom That right now is biting at you or giving you a headache rather than going back and saying what assets can we put into kids what kind of teaching modeling showing um benefits for everybody can you show that gives some immunity to all these crazy little behavior nonsense things that people want to try to address
1: and i do think that's back to like Figuring out in a Saskatchewan model how they like it's a perfect example. PBIS was best practice; it worked. You had evidence yep. that worked. You had, um, yep. but but the province there's no uh, overseeing model to collect that data to go. Okay, so Lands West tried this. Whether it was in behavior or speech pathology interventions we need them to somehow come up with a way of gathering or a committee or some way that they gather the information and then dispense and say okay we tried it in uh, lands west it worked now we'd like to try it in these two other school divisions and facilitate it throughout the province but yeah they just don't ever seem to know what best practice is it's like Everybody's going to a workshop, and they come back, and and they convince so-and-so, well, we'll do this now, and now we'll do this, and now we'll do this. But nobody's really evaluating, well, is that best practice for the demographic we have? Like, we have that going on right now with speech pathology interventions. There's some great programs out there, but they don't fit the demographic we're working with. And and yes. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon, and it's chaotic, I
2: should say. Yeah, crazy. well, and, and it will be. And it, the thing is, is that they wouldn't have to provincially mandate this stuff, but it, even if they would provincially set aside some room on the agenda and the funding to let groups or areas, well, now they're all larger, so they'd be subdivision strike off on these things, gathering some data, getting the evidence and then seeing what their publics will will support on. I mean, it's pretty tough to push water uphill, so you have to get people on side board and everything else, but if you could just simply get a climate and a culture that would look at these things favorably, then the actors that form that culture would start to move. Yeah, but mm-hmm. they won't move if they feel they're risking their own butt, or there's no reward, or it's only going to be the flavor of the month. It has to be the flavor of the decade. Like mm-hmm. you just, you can't. These things don't don't just happen in a year or two. And yeah. and I I think we're kind of gone into this whole mode of you know where the CEO has to report the status of the company for the stockholders every three months, and if it's not good, then you fire them and sell something off in the company and make it look good. Well, it, it doesn't work that way with people. It's a long-term thing. It doesn't mean that you get frozen with it. It has to be dynamic. But you've got to keep that same vision and, and agenda in front of you so that you're working on it year to year and evaluating it and improving it and not just flitting around from from one sort of good-looking thing to another. It, uh, it just it, That just can't can't work. I don't believe everything was that great a few years back, but it's certainly, you know, we had longer term things. Now it's it's not.
0: Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next question and sure. it's since the amalgamation of the school divisions. Now I felt like back in Lands West, and maybe this was unique to Lands West, but I, I kind of think it was more typical perhaps, and that was that the SLPs had more of a direct relationship with the director and uh, possibly the board members to help facilitate changes and and to demonstrate best practice and to discuss issues and and implement changes and I guess now it's really difficult to jump through a whole bunch of levels of middle management to get yeah. any any kind of change going. So is there any way that you could think that we could get around this or
2: well I know with Lands West beauty of that is that was voluntary and I can't even tell you how many meetings I attended hundreds and hundreds of hours talking to well started out with about seven thousand students and then, you know, quickly people that were opportunists simply saw it as a way of getting out of what they were in and into something else, so mostly fled. But in many ways, you got to come in on the ground floor, and the picture wasn't all colored in. So I think the board, and certainly I was, and I don't say it to look for rewards, I just say that I didn't know how to color in all the picture. So I kept asking and, and the people around and I kept looking for people who, who, would, um, who would be able to uh, to help fill in the picture as to what this new division would look like and what it could do and, and so on. And that can... I mean, you can't, you can never experience that again, right? Uh, unless you really keep the place dynamic and continually changing, but you sort of only get one opportunity maybe in a lifetime to create an entire new culture, educational culture. And, and you got that. Opportunity
0: yeah. yeah. And,
2: uh, I, you know, and I don't, I mean that in the, the nicest of ways, but when you join one, they've already got it made they're not dynamic anymore maybe good reason but they're not dynamic and they should be you right. should be always looking for change and improvement and focus groups and training and time should be set aside to be continually saying you know or are, are we making the best use of the resources what's happening out there can we get a better match it happens for it for sure was happening with lands west because We didn't even have anything to compare it to. You were were continually saying, well, let's color in the picture here and make this work. And I think you can, I mean, you could do that with the other ones too, but the person who's running the show, they have to keep saying to themselves, you know, what we got is good, but is it the best? And they got to keep sending people out and dragging back ideas, running them through the sieve of what your culture is and what your needs are, and saying, can we add this on, or do we just set it aside for now, or, or what's happening? But it means sending people out. And I know with PBIF, I can't remember, he sent out two or three, and he Same thing in Manitoba with that other one, the search institute. We sent people down to the states, and and yeah, we got the criticism of, you know, why are these people getting these big expensive trips? Well, the, the reason why they were is when they came back, we bloody well expected them to take on a major leadership role to implement this across the division. It was no holiday or no picnic. In fact, it was a nightmare of expectations that you were laying on them, but again... Most people not so secretly want that. They want to be able to grow and step into new roles and and see good things
1: happening. It's kind of what you said before. You're building capacity in your people. Yeah, you're building exactly, And you're building assets. You've used that term too.
2: And once you sort of have that and there's a trust, and people are putting up their hands or stepping forward and they're saying, yeah, let me have a piece of this. I can't have it now. Um, maybe the next one. But if you ever sort of cut people off or don't let them risk without criticism, which we're, all of us are damn good at criticism. Very few of us are good at reward and recognition. We just aren't. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know. That's what I was hoping all the time with keep happening with the building of the culture. I I think you can do it. I guess everybody has got a lot of things coming at them now. They must, right? A lot of challenges. And I I don't know how they they either overlook or whatever else, but it would seem to me that the whole special needs speech language and stuff like that, be able to get appropriate amount of time of the agenda and attention of central office people but i can read in some things where people aren't you end up that program just keeps getting thrown to the sidelines so it's, a, it's a really a tragedy I,
1: Just And at our, our uh, questions ahead and i think you maybe have answered a couple of them i'm just going to jump ahead here and okay. and um, to, no 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 yeah. we are answering them as we go but i think you might have answered this a little bit too but what what do you think If you had standards and and then going back and auditing whether people had outcome, I think what I'm hearing is that probably you would not think that was the best model because you're looking at maybe at the negative, what's not getting done, or or would you see that an audit might go, oh, we're on course here, we're doing what we thought we wanted to do. But I think that what Cheryl and I have talked about before is just that if people don't have that accountability for what they're doing – if they don't ever have to be measured as to what outcomes they have. That's a big distinction between how speech path services are delivered in the States and here. And, you know, we're both kind of in favor of having some sort of measurement or audit. Well, what do you think of that? <laughs> uh, well, I,
2: to be straightforward on that thing, there is no question. I mean, we only address and improve things that we evaluate and have good data on. So you got to do it. and. It's just that I think it has to be done in such a manner that it doesn't just become another thing that gets downloaded without time, resources, or, like, let's say audit does shows the need in a whole bunch of ways. Then the person that's mandating or the system that's mandating the audit better be there with a checkbook and a timeline for correcting. So, like, the audit has to have very serious meaning. Otherwise, you're just frustrating everybody. We will underfund you. And then we'll audit and see how badly you did. And then <laughs> yeah. we won't then we won't do a damn thing about it. And we'll, like, yeah. if, if you know what I mean, like yeah. as long as there's some genuine vision to be serious on the audit, what it finds will now not be set aside. Maybe it has to be timelined a little different. I'm not wanting to be impossible, but if the audit shows clearly, the needs in whole area of speech and language need to be, let's say, 50, a fifty percent increase. Then the system has to say fifty percent will be filled in in one, two, three years. If it just becomes, well, maybe we should do something about that, or, or yeah, maybe you should find it. You know, why can't you take from somewhere and find it? Then there's no honesty in it. All there is, you're just you're just saying to people, yeah, I kind of busted your knee and now you don't walk well. Exactly. You know, of course. So I, I, I am not against an audit. I'm not against evaluation because, in fact, that truly is the only way of making strides forward. But if it becomes sort of a twisted one where the audit then becomes another mandate for you to find it with the limited resources you already have, then I'm not for it at all. I see it as just another cloaked way of making the public system look bad and another opportunity to divide it. And we're seeing it now. We are. We're seeing it now as clearly. As I mean the whole system is underfunded. From what I can read, it, it's in the hundreds of millions it's underfunded. And, uh, and yet all, all we argue about is, you know, is there ten dollars more in absolute funds this year? Well, probably there is, but that's not how you look at it. You look at it based on what were you trying to accomplish, what are the needs, what's happening out there, and, uh, you know, we have a different student body now. The ch- some of the challenges, quite honestly, I never ever faced them.
1: Yep. I have
2: never faced one of them. I-, I thought I had other ones that were weird, but quite frankly, I think now it must be even tougher. But every time those squeeze into the agenda because of legal or human rights or whatever, and- i I don't mean it by be critical, but just saying every time they jam into the agenda and nobody says, Well, wait a minute, how are you gonna deal with this? You can't just keep taking from the existing and trying to, to expand the balloon with, with what you got. It'll break. It'll just blow open.
0: That leads us actually nicely into our next question, which is about mm-hmm. funding. And my personal opinion would be that we should have enough money in this province to fully fund education for every child, but it appears that we don't, and we've gone away from having school divisions be able to set their own mill rate and fund their system appropriately based on their needs and, and what their communities want. What do you think about alternate sources of funding? So, for example, Jordan's principal is federal funding, and it is available to support the needs of children with who are first nations And so, using that funding, you can hire additional speech-language pathologists for your school division, you can hire educational assistants, you can hire occupational assistants, physios, and so on. And then you could use a a charitable foundation model like health. Or the other one that we've discussed is uh, doing something like they did in South Carolina, where they they never had a a state lottery, and then they started a state lottery, but 100% of those lottery revenues go to education and so they were able to go in in that's I think it was that state from having no pre-K to having every single child in the state be have access to yeah. pre-kindergarten. So I'm just wondering about something like that.
2: I guess I would I mean the provinces very proudly and 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 sometimes miserably claim that Education is theirs, right? And they do the funding and all this. But if you're going to do that, then fund it. Personally, I'm leery about us being funded through bake sales and whatever else. But I I know they happen, and it's fine if it's the extra stuff. But I really have some concerns if funding of core things like special education and main subject areas was coming from... From some of these sources, which I think are a hidden miss. I guess if you set something up through uh, the sin taxes and gambling that was provincial, so it could be appropriately shared and not hogged by any one individual jurisdiction, that could work. The mixing of federal and provincial, I don't know how we ever get that sorted out. But obviously with the First Nation public system is, is federally funded when it's on federal land or federally, um, well, it's such a patriarchal system, but funding a federal controlled land. And it, it really gets mixed up. And I don't know why, in the interest of children, that can't be sorted out better. But I, I know it was tough. I ran into all of those issues, both in Manitoba and in Lands West. It would seem to me that, that our taxes should be able to be the umbrella source of funding to make things work. I liked the idea when we had access to the land to the tax tax base. It was deductible for farmers. It made perfect sense. But they were easily swayed by, I would think, you know, greedy crops based interests, which said, well, if you just have those taxes, you wouldn't have to pay them, somebody else will cover it. But the thing with that then is that the control and the decision-making and the rewards and, quite frankly, the, being proud of your own system, that all got delinked completely when we moved away from it. Only what it had to have done is change the equalization formula so that rich areas didn't get all the oil and gas and mining and manufacturing. Taxation and made that provincial. It could have been easily equalized. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I know, and I know we make lots of money through, you know, gambling and not gambling so much, but certainly tobacco and alcohol and stuff. But I just have some real concerns when anything gets back to the ability of a local group to raise money against another one. Provincially organized maybe makes it fair. I don't know. I know we accessed a lot of grants from the federal government through the HRDC. And I, I mean, I targeted Hazel with that role because her time was somewhat flexible with career ed and stuff. I would simply pull her back from that and say, you know, we found this, take two weeks and hunt it down and get that money. So, you know, we were basically what you are suggesting when it came to extra stuff. And that's how we were able to run Summer programs like WOW and and some of the other additional things that we did because we went out and got money that was extra to the whole system and uh, and ran them. but they were they did not have longevity. They would always have a, a termination date, and then you filed your report, and that was the end of it. So. People have to know that this wasn't going to carry on forever. And I'm sort of wandering here, I know, but <laughs> I guess I'm cautious about, about the whole idea of lotteries and stuff, because I don't see health being very healthy, quite frankly. <laughs>
1: well, that, that's for sure. We'll underscore that one, too. But yeah, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and yet I know they, they run some, you know, they run some very
2: dynamic and interesting and novel fundraising things but you know a lot of energy goes into that uh, and it and it gives people this whole reward of philanthropy and so on but quite honestly we should have a reward when you pay your damn taxes (laughs) (laughs) there you go there you go
1: absolutely
2: take a hero's bow and (laughs) pay your taxes and and now you will have kids that are functioning the best they can and uh, not feeling like they're left out and then becoming really limited and health and justice and other issues then surface all over the place with them. Well, and then I know we went after student fees too, you know, like, but you had to be careful with that too. There were families that couldn't come up with those fees. So you got to watch are those kids getting pushed aside or what. And so we tried to help out a bit that way and and watch for that within the school. But boy, for one family, it's a meaningless kitten for the kids to have an extra hundred bucks for the year or two hundred for fees. For another family, not so. That's not the case.
0: Yeah, could be a huge barrier.
2: Yeah. Well, so I and and the Jordan principal thing I'm. Not 100% familiar with it, but I would think divisions, in fact, know about it and have the student needs and demographics to justify should... That one makes most sense. I would certainly encourage people going after that because it sounds like something the federal government has thrown forward either out of shame or whatever else to try and cover up the gaps in their system
0: yeah, well, that is what it's designed to do is to meet the unmet needs of the First Nations students yeah. and the sort of the longstanding historical unmet needs.
2: I, I know from all the work I did with tuition fee agreements and stuff, and maybe it's changed a bit, but they were they were so underfunded compared to the public system. In Manitoba, the four first Nations within our borders had to wait until I did my iron.
1: <laughs> that's how bad it was. Because oh. no one would accept a job with them until they were damn sure they couldn't get one
0: with us. Because they were paying so poorly.
2: Well, they were either paying poorly or their system was resourced poorly. Uh, and the net result is that the challenges in the building and the climate in the building was rotten. And, and so that, that turned people off. So I, I, And I, I used to think this is crazy People literally have to wait for my gaps to show up and for me to fill it before people will go there because they're they want a job they want to stay in in the area but if they can't get one with the quote provincial public system they go with the federal public system. It was ridiculous, but I remember that's the way it was. Like we simply could outcompete them, and it shouldn't have been that way. There were kids within there were kids within our borders i know they had different residences and the history is all different but god they all
0: had to make their way in life afterwards. You know, um, Ray, you've you've covered so much ground today. I I feel like we could talk for another couple hours here, and hear, you know, all your perspectives on these issues. It's been great. I I have a few takeaways of my own. You know, you've talked about funding for sure, and the need for data and evidence-based decision making, and those things are totally. Key, I think, and you know, again, we might have to have you back on again to to okay. to continue well, here. But anyway, um, I hope I
2: didn't hope I didn't wander around. No,
0: no, it was I'm great.
2: I tried to put a good slant on it, but I, I don't have good feelings about. The person
0: yeah, I, it it can it it can get you really down. It certainly gets me down. Yeah. Sherry Sherry always has a more positive attitude than I do. <laughs> well, the,
1: it, what happens is I I think even this conversation that we're having. And your perspective, Ray, and all the all the hist- historic things behind uh, this decision making, and uh, you know, we didn't have that perspective. We don't know why the government, you know. Uh, or how to get to the government leadership. And when you yeah. have been such a strong leader in education, then we at least could have this conversation, even if, if we're outside the circle at the moment. But uh, you've really added to our conversation. And all the people who are listening, and all those little ripples of people, you know, gleaning information from you and, and your experience. And, and uh, we so appreciate you joining us, for sure.
0: We really do. So that's well, it.
2: Well, thanks for nice to year. I just was going down to the bottom of the page here. I, if I could, i just take a few minutes. Sure. I don't know if you remember the wraparound approach. That, oh, I don't yes. Know if it's even still going or a team approach that was being used, especially with early intervention and kids coming in. But that was such an important thing when all the agencies that were intersecting with families could get together and we could try at least to target other than ration our services and our
0: expertise. It's still bandied about, every once in a while I hear that term, but it's always a a time issue. It's getting that team together, having each member of that team have the actual time to participate in the wraparound process, that's an issue, but it certainly was, and probably still is, best practice. I don't know how much you know, it's. Uh, I don't know how much it's being done nowadays. So
2: if the time for the wraparound is not, if you don't benefit two or three times over by the effectiveness and efficiency of of the staffing dealing with that family, then it won't happen it, because it's just seen as a
1: burden. If, I, like, from my the, perspective, what's happened is okay. at this point the services are so limited. Yeah. For example, say you're looking for for uh, interventions for children who are on the autism spectrum. Well, mm. there's no point in wrapping around because we're missing those components. There's nobody to do the intervention. So, you know, the wraparound doesn't work and there's no outcome. You can have lots of meetings about all the things you'd like to do, but if you don't have staff and you don't have positions... <laughs> It's gone. You supposed, know. Well, that's like the audits, the fake audits. You know? Let's do an mm-hmm. audit. But we know darn
2: well we're not going to do anything with the results, uh, yeah. if, even if they are accurate and proper. So, that, yeah, that is a real concern. I mean, if the wraparound simply becomes a finger-pointing of who's being beat up the worst and rather than <laughs> contri- contributing <laughs> about what you could do, well, then it's, it's, it's a hopeless waste of time. What was that, that saying of the animals in the African plains all begin to look at each other differently as the water hole decreases? <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the water hole is not just decreasing, it's damn near disappearing. And of course, everybody is now looking at each other uh, in a rather jaundiced and jealous and then almost bitter way rather than a supportive and cooperative. Yeah, that's a. Well, that's a tragedy. I'm not saying it was great or perfect, but it, it did used to have more benefit than cost time. It did. At least for me, it did. Because uh, I, I participated in a number of them. Well, I, yeah. no, I mean, it's been kind of nice reminiscing on some of this <laughs> stuff. But, uh, on the other hand, it's depressing. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little bit depressing because I, I don't even know where we're making the initiatives of leadership and, that I thought this province always strived for and had.
0: Yeah, and I I do still think there's potential for that. I mean, I feel like Saskatchewan, we've always been innovators and we could be again. It's just how to get back to that. I do think it's possible, but we better wrap it up for today. Okay, Um, yes. Yeah, so, yes. Anyway,
2: um, well, it's so good talking to both of you.
0: Yes, um, thank you so much, Ray. And if any of our listeners out there have comments or follow-up questions about anything that we discussed today or you want to make a petition to have Ray back on, you can hop on over to letstalktalking.com and leave us an email there and we hope everyone will join the conversation. For Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl.
1: And I'm Sherry. Let's
0: Let's talk. Talk!